0: A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Your headlines this Tuesday morning. U.S. equities fall on the first trading day of 2021. It's the first such decline for the S&P since 2016, with the Dow suffering its worst open in five years. Voters in Georgia will decide control of the U.S. Senate today, with both President Trump and President-elect Joe Biden drumming up support.
1: The radical Democrats are trying to capture Georgia's Senate seats so they can wield unchecked, unrestrained, absolute power over every aspect of your lives.
2: One state can chart the course, not just for the next four years, but for the next generation. Elsewhere, a new
3: national lockdown is now in effect in England until mid-February, with all but essential movements banned and schools and universities closed. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson warning the coming weeks will be the hardest yet.
4: With most of the country already under extreme measures, it's clear that we need to do more together to bring this new variant under control while our vaccines are rolled out. In England, we must therefore go into a national lockdown
3: And Chinese telcos surge in Hong Kong as the New York Stock Exchange performs a U-turn on plans to delist three of the country's largest telecom companies in compliance with an executive order.
0: And OPEC and its allies fail to see eye-to-eye over oil output hikes, with Saudi Arabia wanting to hold firm, while Russia is arguing it's time to turn on the taps. Those talks resume today. Well, welcome to the programme everybody and we just were just having a me. chat. We're both
3: well, here actually are. in person in the City of London. So physically. our travel was yes. essential this morning.
0: It was. And look, we're maintaining a decent <laughs> social out. distance uh, between <laughs> ourselves. Um, yeah, as, as, as our audience knows, we've gone into uh, another round of uh, significant lockdown 3.0. here in the UK. Uh, level five. <laughs> well, yeah, but everyone's getting confused, aren't they? Because we're tier four. No, we're not tier four anymore. We're lockdown,
3: which is above right. tier four. Right. But we are level five. And yes. even uh, our, our good friend at the BBC, Hugh Pym, was getting it wrong. I heard on the radio, he was going, well, no, we're tier four. Then he went, no, no, tier Five and level four, and it was all over the
0: place. But anyway, yes. The long and the short of it is, we're in lockdown. Yes, we are. I'm waiting for level four. But you and but I are still allowed to come into work. Yes, yes, we. We're <laughs> essential workers. I think we're obliged to come into work. We're just below a hospital porter on. in our importance level. Taking the paycheck. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the markets then, shall we? Because what a remarkable open it was yesterday. And again, you know, we are making another footnote in the record books here in the stock traders almanac as we notched up a. Terrible start to the trading session if you are long the markets, of course, and we should add that coda here. So, this was the worst performance I think for the S&P since 2016 but just to delve into the nature of the sell off and I think it's important to try and bring some context to it it was broad based this was not one of those uh, sell offs that was necessarily directly correlated to that argument around which stocks will do badly in a lockdown and a spike in coronavirus cases and which ones will do better Everybody got hurt in yesterday's trade and I wanted just to single out the Nasdaq in particular because as we came to the end of last year, we talked a lot about another terrific year for the Nasdaq. What were the gains? Something like 45% and then 2019 we seen something like 44% upside and it just felt like the technology stocks were this steamroller that you could not stop. But they were stopped yesterday in that broad-based sell-off here. And I listened in the afternoon as you probably did to all the talking heads giving their arguments as to why it happened. Was it about people reassessing the economic outlook because of the spike in infections? Was it the geopolitical issues around Iran and the tanker seizure? Was it more to do with this issue of the Georgia election? And what will be the result? Will Biden get the Senate? Will that give him a lot of power Mm. to push forward? further fiscal stimulus whichever those of those arguments you want to seize upon here it was a brutal day in the u.s markets yesterday but of course it does raise that question do you have the opportunity now to top up positions at a slightly lower price and i guess that's what a lot of people will be asking themselves because of course it's just one trading day and of course we finished the year with quite a strong push higher by the Dow in particular.
3: Yes so much there to unpack as well. And and, and we will do that throughout the next three hours and in coming days as well. The talking heads, very interesting. Some like Howard Marks talking about the corporate bond market. Some like Carl Icahn talking about valuations and that as well. Again, we'll come to a lot of that as well. But I did somewhat glibly yesterday mentioned how much importance some of you out there in Trader World uh, put on the first day's trading. So I'm going to give you some stats from the first day's trading and I'll put it in some form of historical context here as well. So these are just facts now. That's not me adding a little bit of as well, and I start off where Jeff finished off, actually, with the Nasdaq as well. So it was the worst trading day since 2001. Uh, if it was less than a 7.2% uh, decline, but more than a 2.08% decline, so you can see the kind of numbers we're talking about. Very big range on that one. With the S&P, though, anything more than a 1.5% decline is the worst trading day since 2001. But this one I thought was very interesting as well. The Dow would have its worst trading day since 1932 if we were more than 1.86% down. Well, we were down at our low, pretty much. I was looking at it evening-ish kind of time, seven, eight o'clock as well. We were down around about 700 points. And I say that London time rather than US time. So we were down about 700 points. We were on target for our worst trading day since 1932. So that's very interesting because you know, of course, the Wall Street crash, and I'll just remind you, was in 1929. But if we're still seeing terrible market days and declines in 1932, that just tells you how long these market oscillations and declines can last. And a lot of you think, oh, well, we've had the bad 2020, now we're off to the races again, but the new deal didn't kick in, did it? Until thirty-two, thirty-three? So if you're hoping for infrastructure and stimulus spending to really come through, whether it's a European um, 750 billion euro coronavirus recovery fund, or whether it's stimulus from Joe Biden, the trillion plus has been promised, of course, then you have to wait a long while for the effects as well. But what I think is very interesting is some of the individual names. Now, we finished 1.3% lower on the Dow, which as I say, was way, way better than it could have been at one point. But some of the biggest, First day declines uh, in the, uh, the the history of the market. Well, for instance, on the, the S&P, 1.5% 2016. We finished January in 2016 uh, down 5%. Um, 2001, a notable day again, down 2.8% on the first trading day uh, of the year. We were up 3.5% on that year. Uh, so what a massive turnaround from the first day to the end of January as well. So some big turnarounds there as well. Does January work for you? Does the first day of January mean anything? The answer is, not particularly. It's like selling May and go away. Don't come back to St. Ledger Day, which is in September. It kind of works some of the time, but not really all the time. I talked to you about the VIX yesterday. Do you remember I said to you it was still elevated uh, in some of its levels as well? This is where it traded yesterday. As you'd expect, big spike in the VIX. It's, the market goes down, the, the VIX rallies. And of course, you pick up on the skew as well. So it naturally picks up from where it was anyway. But the the money, near month, most traded, was trading at 27.
0: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the old market saw goes, um, how goes the week? So goes the year. So we've got a full five days to have a good think about just exactly what the tone of the market is. But I think think the week is important because it will test the desire to buy back in sell-offs. And that's been a feature, I think, of the market through 2000 and through 2019. There's every time we seem to get a meaningful pullback, when everybody got excited about those pullbacks, What happened next was people stepped back in and started buying on the dips and they particularly started buying the high-tech names again. And that's why we had such good closes for the Nasdaq. So I think over the five days, what it's going to do is test sentiment.
3: You're talking about people and sentiment. Mm. I hate to tell you something, but machines don't have sentiment. They're not not people, they're they're trading on an algorithm. And so so a lot of them should be actually most active at the moment. Mm. Aren't people thinking about dipping their toe as well? And I think it's very important to say that. It's a very different market from some of those markets I was talking about, 86, 91, 2001 as well. You've got far more high frequency, far more trade. And one thing I really wanna know when you're talking about sentiment is how much margin trading is going on in some of this product as well. Because people build on gains. They they have two types of margin. You have your initial margin and you have your variation margin. You guys know all this, don't you? Mm. Well, OK, you should know this if you're trading on margin. The fact of the matter is you only have to put down a small deposit on some of these trading bets, so to speak, in, in various markets. Uh, and then as you go up, you get more money coming into your account, and then you put oh, I'll put more of that to work. And then it goes up again. You put more and more. Into it. But the problem is when it goes down again, your variation margin goes in the opposite direction. So you have to put more and more in. And is there an appetite or ability to put more and more in as you get stopped out in some of these
0: positions? All terrific points. Uh, very Blade Runner. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Carl Icahn then. The billionaire investor has warned of a sharp correction for stocks, telling CNBC's Scott Wapner that all wild rallies eventually hit a wall. Icahn added, nobody can predict when it will happen. The activist investor didn't reveal his current positions, but said he was, quote, well hedged. Well, let's bring in Thanos Papasavas, founder and CIO at ABP Invest. Thanos, good morning to you. Let's just start off with your view and take on current risk appetite. What do you think, I mean, it's just one day, but what do you think that one day of trade in the US tells us about market sentiment?
1: It tells us that we have had a significant rally and uh, there is always room for correction. There is also some uncertainty on the on the geopolitical side, on the domestic political side, and coronavirus. Um, it is not particularly concerning. Uh, however, we do find that the U.S. equity market is more expensive than the uh, European equivalent, China, UK, Japan, and therefore we are in neutral on the U.S., whereas we're positive on the others.
3: Fun loving the new look, by the way. When did the beard go? But uh, we'll ask that question perhaps <laughs> another time. Actually, no, when did the beard go? Over over New Year, was it? Yes, exactly. Uh, with part of the COVID, COVID clearing. Wow. I didn't see the beard connection in any of the National Health Service briefings, but we'll move on. Um, <laughs> look when did valuation matter when you've got momentum and I, and I mean this really because like we, we talk about some of these products and the momentum they've had is quite extraordinary and people keep telling me that is more important in the shorter term than valuation
1: and, and I agree valuation tends to be like a sort of a, a a piece of rubber which extends and extends and it can extend for a long period of time um, but if we do look at valuation this is the reason why uh, we, we we are neutral if 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 valuation did not have that characteristics, then we would be negative. Uh, We're not negative because of that factor. So valuation is a key consideration, but we do understand that it can drag for long periods of time. Let's talk about some of the
0: near-term drivers. Uh, We've obviously got this very important Senate race taking place. Even as we speak, uh, Americans will begin going to the polls uh, and then we'll get an outcome which will tell us whether Biden takes the House and the Senate how critical a message will that send to markets about the prospects for further fiscal support?
1: I think I think Jeff Markets had been a bit complacent in that because they felt that Georgia, the, the, the Republicans in Georgia have never lost a runoff in the Senate. And, and as a result, they thought this is a, a done deal. I, I, I disagreed. I, I thought for the last few months, with Kamala Harris in place, with Stacey Abrams in place, there is an increasing likelihood, and of course with Biden himself winning um, the state for nearly 30 years, that there was a chance that there could be an upset in terms of market expectations. However, And therefore, the Democrats do win uh, Georgia. However, my view is that this will not constitute a blue wave. Yes, the Democrats will have the House, uh, the the Senate, and and the executive, but I believe that uh, uh, moderate Democrats would not be willing to vote in favor of ultra-progressive views from the Democrat uh, administration. So I do not see this as a true blue wave. And any true blue wave will probably have to wait until the midterms in 2022.
3: I think you so make some I'm not
1: that concerned. Fabulous Sorry, points
3: there. Yeah, no, no, I I agree. With you. And actually, what one assumes that what uh, the House of Representative Democrats want and what Senate Democrats want are perfectly aligned. And as we've seen historically, they really aren't. And I think you make a very good point about the moderates versus the progressives as well, which I think perhaps on this side of Atlantic, many people miss the subtleties of that as well. But But in terms of the market, ramifications, not of a blue wave, but of a Senate which has a degree of control uh, for the Democrats and uh, ergo for the president as well. Are there ramifications in terms of taxation, in terms of what it means for pharmaceuticals, what it means for the broader market, and and which would switch you from being neutral U.S. stocks, as you've already said, to actually being outright negative?
1: Um, I think there may be some ramifications on the sidelines rather than anything strategic And and structural. However, um, in terms of turning from neutral to negative, I wouldn't for the very simple reason that ample fiscal and monetary stimulus will be provided in order to ensure that the US economy continues to do well, especially during this difficult period of coronavirus. So I'm I'm reliant very much on on, on Yellen, very much on... on, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump in
3: because you, you said something very clearly. You said the fiscal monetary stimulus can boost the economy. I sometimes wonder whether that money ever gets to the economy but gets stuck in the stock market. So hence the relationship between the stock market and the economy. Well, it, it's the letter of the day, the letter de jour, K-shaped, i.e. the market gets all the stimulus, but the economy doesn't get what it wants. And that, hence you see inflationary impacts in the market, but not in the economy.
1: Well, I, I think there's it's very fair on that point, And I think the rationale for that is the concern on the lockdowns and how is it going to be impacting the broader society. However, with the vaccinations coming through, I believe that people will start to see the end of the tunnel or the lights at the end of the tunnel and therefore be able to adjust their spreading accordingly. However, you do ma- mention a very key point, which is the inequality of incomes that we've been seeing, not only within the US, but also within Europe. And I think that we're going to be seeing a, a gradual reduction of that inequality with inflationary pressures coming through and wage increases. So inflation is a concern for us. So and that's one key for us. The second is strong Europe. The third is strong China.
0: Uh, Let's make this 3D and and bring in the currencies, Thanos. Um, The market uh, consensus is that the dollar weakens through the year. That has implications, obviously, for how you trade emerging and what you do with the eurozone at this point. Uh, Do you agree with the market consensus? And if so, how do you best take advantage of the direction of currencies through the early part of the year?
1: We've been been lucky on the dollar. Um, As we all know, there's always an element of luck in views that we have. Um, We we were positive the dollar until a year ago, uh, because we felt the economic and interest rate differentials would be supportive for the US and the US dollar. However, we found it was overextended. We turned neutral last, uh, the previous December, and we turned negative the dollar in March of 2020, turned positive euro, positive sterling. And I think that this is still very much the case. We maintain our positive on the euro. We think that the structural story in Europe continues. Positive sterling, we think that valuations are still cheap, not as cheap as they were, but still attractive. Positive the renminbi and a broad sort of alliance of emerging market currencies. We think this continues. The stimulus, the pro-growth stimulus is going to be a sort of beneficial for these uh, emerging market currencies, but also strong China, strong commodity demand for those as well.
0: If you fancy having a dabble in the exciting ride that is emerging markets, um, are you going to get the same degree of polarity that we saw through 2020, where where we saw, say, the Turkish lira or the Argentinian peso moving, you know, 20% across the year? Will you have that opportunity, and if so, in which currencies? Sure. In the Turkish lira,
1: we had been negative the Turkish lira from 2018. We closed that negative in September uh, because we felt that Erdogan was being pushed in the corner and he didn't have a lot of leeway and they had to take action. Um, In in terms of the specific currencies, we, we are still worried about the Indian rupee. Um, we are concerned about that. We don't think that there's any rationale for that to move in the way that the Turkish or the, or the Argentinian peso did. Um, but our concern would be for any signs of inflationary concerns running uncontrolled across the any specific emerging market country. So that for us is going to be focus number one because. In the first crisis ever, where emerging market central banks could cut rates alongside the developed market central banks, there's a lot of liquidity. And any central bank which does not act quickly to take back that liquidity could possess, could propose a risk. So that for us is the number one thing on our radar screen. Thanos, we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks so much for
0: joining us. Good to see you uh, looking so well, uh, given um your COVID experience over the uh, holiday period, albeit a little less hairy. Thanos Papasavas, founder and CIO of ABP Invest. So the fate of the uh, Senate will be decided today as Georgia residents head to the polls for the state's two runoff elections. The Democrats need to claim both seats in order to secure a majority in the Senate. NBC's Dan Sheneman has the report.
2: Senate runoff elections President Trump rallying support for GOP senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue
1: Your vote tomorrow will decide which party controls the United States Senate The radical Democrats are trying to capture Georgia's Senate seats so they can wield unchecked unrestrained absolute power over every aspect of your lives
2: Tonight's rally while the backlash continues over the president's phone call with Georgia's Secretary of State I just want to find uh,
3: 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state.
2: During the leaked recording, the president cited a number of discredited conspiracy theories, Georgia's Secretary of State pushed back today. Uh, I'm very confident in the results we have here in Georgia. And that's the the cold hard truth is President Trump did not carry the state of Georgia. President-elect Biden also focusing on Georgia. Campaigning today for Senate challengers John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. The power, the power is literally in your hands. Unlike any time in my career, one state, one state can chart the course, not just for the next four years, for the next generation. The results will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Dan Schenemann, NBC News.
3: Plunged back into lockdown. England wakes up to the toughest COVID restrictions since last spring. We'll discuss that on this show coming up next.
0: Welcome back. Uh, England has been plunged back into a national lockdown with the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announcing the strictest COVID restrictions since last spring. Under the new rules which come into force at midnight, people will be required to stay at home and only leave for specific reasons while all non-essential retailers and schools will shut. So those rules came in. At midnight. Meanwhile, Germany is expected to extend its own lockdown measures later today. According to media reports, the current restrictions, which include the closure of schools, retailers and restaurants, are all set to continue until at least the end of January. Announcing the new lockdown restrictions for England, the British Prime Minister said sweeping measures are needed to fight the new strain of the virus, even as vaccines are being rolled out. With most of the
4: country already under extreme measures, it's clear that we need to do more together to bring this new variant under control while our vaccines are rolled out. In England, we must therefore go into a national lockdown, which is tough enough to contain this variant. That means the government is once again instructing you to stay at home. You may only leave home for limited reasons permitted in law, such as to shop for essentials, to work if you absolutely cannot work from home, to exercise, to seek medical assistance, such as getting a COVID test, or to escape domestic abuse.
3: Right, well There are huge ramifications for what is going on in terms of inoculations and vaccinations and lockdowns in Europe and indeed what's not happening on that front as well. So let's get to Annetta in Germany, and Charlotte joins us to discuss the situation with the Macron government as well. But we'll start off with Anetta. Anetta, there are two points here. One, Germany is slow to the party on the inoculations and vaccination procurement as well, which is very rare. The Germans are normally way better organised than this. But secondly, could it have longer term political ramifications for the successor of Chancellor Merkel, given that the health minister is none other than Jens Spahn?
6: Yes, exactly. I mean, it all seems a bit messy here in Germany when it comes to the inoculation plan. But what I also have to, has to say that we are comparing apples with pears a little bit because you in the UK, for example, you got the approval for the, the new vaccination earlier than it was available here in Germany. So um, what the authorities are saying now is that we need to have a bit more patience because clearly um, the rollout of the vaccination will take some time and we only going to see more availability probably by the month of April. So uh, there needs to be more patience. Of course, it, it was a little bit again of that European deal making versus national deal making. So what happens currently here in Germany is that Jens Schwan, the health minister, Um, is getting a lot of blame for not organizing the process in orderly. But at the same time, apparently, the Chancellor was weighing in and giving all the power to Brussels, which is now sitting with Ursula von der Leyen. And and, um, so the Europeans were not as fast as, for example, the U.S. and the U.K. and also Israel, who is probably... The world's best country when it comes to the rollout of the uh, of the vaccination. So the Europeans were not as fast, and they are still not having a deal with AstraZeneca, for example. That's also something which is not quite understandable given the current situation. So essentially, at the one side we have that discussion of who's actually responsible for not for for that sort of lame or um, unorganised um, vaccination rollout, and at the same time. We're facing a tougher lockdown, most likely um, until the end of this month, but perhaps even longer, given that the, the, the target is to get uh, the in, the, uh, the rates down to 50 um, infection, new infections um, compared to 100,000 inhabitants. So I guess this is still a long way to go. And that's why we are seeing that lockdown not as severe as in the UK because we're still allowed to leave our home whenever we want to but restaurants schools most likely and hotels most of them will be closed with that back to you thank
3: you very much indeed for that Annette well over in France things are worse would you believe French President Emmanuel Macron has convened a meeting to ramp up the country's vaccination rollout after falling well under its original targets apparently only 500 people have received the jab in the first week Charlotte this is Unbelievably shambolic in France Again, and I take no glee saying it I want as many people inoculated as possible You've got 35 people, citizen councils I understand, who are advising on who and who shouldn't be done There's way too much bureaucracy They need to get this out much quicker, don't they?
5: Well, that's really the controversy that has been growing in the country. As you mentioned, 516 vaccinations so far. So that's 0.0008% of the population. When you think you need to get about 60% to get protection of the population on the virus, we are a long way out. But look, the government is saying at the moment, they are sticking to the calendar and method that they had announced in early December with a real vaccination rollout and campaign starting on January 18th. And look, France is a little bit less under pressure than the UK in a sense, because the number of new COVID cases has been at a high plateau since early December, between 15 and 20,000 cases. We haven't seen this big Christmas boom so far of cases that they were really worried about, the kind of a Thanksgiving effect in the country. Shops, uh, non-essential shops are open. Uh, Schools reopened yesterday with all the students going back into classes, etc. etc. The one thing that is not open, of course, is restaurants and bars that remain closed until at least uh, the end of January. And they already have rumors that it will actually be Extended this closure. But definitely, this controversy has been growing over the past few days. So, we've seen all these vaccination numbers growing in other countries, in the UK, in Israel, like uh, we've seen. So, we heard from President Macron in his New Year's wishes saying that uh, he would address this, what he said, unjustified slowness in the vaccination rollout. Uh, so, but this is kind of this bureaucracy, as you mentioned, Steve. Um, you had this uh, consultation before you get uh, the jab with your GP, and then you you have to go back to get your jab. That is um, a, g- a panel of 35 citizens that will be picked to give their opinion on the vaccines. All these elements say well, this is not necessary now. But remember, to put this in context, France is a very uh, vaccine skeptic country, but half of the population said they will not take a vaccine. So the, co- the, the government had p- um, planned according to this, to, uh, but this abundance of caution now uh, seems to be falling into this sort of ridicule. And I really need to wrap up the rollout of the vaccine. So we should hear from the government soon there is this extra cabinet meeting tomorrow to make new decisions. And there will be new announcements from the Prime Minister on Thursday to see the acceleration of this rollout. they already announced earlier than expected the rollout for vaccine for healthcare workers above 50 years old since yes, so we should get more elements this week, guys. Uh,
3: excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, that, that the poll you were referring to there, apparently, according to Ipsos Mori poll as well, 77% of Britons want to be vaccinated, according to this uh, large poll as well. But of citizens in France say they will refuse the vaccine, which is just an extraordinary statistic. Apparently, 60% will refuse the vaccine. This is according to an Ipsos Global survey. Incredible, isn't it?
0: No no doubt um, uh, they'll be looking at the situation in the UK as well as we go into this uh, fresh lockdown here. And just a quick shout out for the eye. I thought they had the best headline on the front page of a newspaper. I don't know whether you saw it. No. Lockdown 3 the worst sequel ever <laughs> which uh you know given the, the grim nature of the story actually oh, let,
3: let's just make sure it's the final part of the trilogy how about that well that would be nice that would wouldn't be it?
0: nice that it, yeah. would be nice thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com
5: or join us again on this show with jeff Cupmore, steve sedgwick and karen show weekdays on cnbc